0: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to The Punished Podcast, the official podcast of PunishedBacklog.com. I'm David Silbert, founder and lead editor of The Punished Backlog. My pronouns are he, him, and my favorite starter Pokemon is Chikorita. At least today it is. With me for today's episode are Amanda Tien and Sam Martinelli. Uh, Let's quickly go around the horn and uh, tell folks how you're doing.
1: Hi, I'm Amanda Tien, uh pronouns she, her, or they, and I'm so pumped that you said Chikorita because I think that's going to be mine today, too. I do love Squirrel with the sunglasses on from the anime. It was like such a great episode, but today I'm, I'm Chikorita for sure.
2: Sick. Let's go. All right. I am Sam Martinelli, he, him, his, and my obvious answer, because it's the first Pokemon I ever chose the first time I ever played Pokemon, Charmander. So good. Uh,
0: close second, close second, Totodile. Ooh,
1: I, Ooh, they're all good. Interesting. I almost went
0: Bulbasaur or Chick. Oh, uh, well, I did go Chikorita. I almost went Bulbasaur, but I'm like, you know, I really liked. Is that second gen? I'm I'm already showing my. Yes, lack that's of like the gold,
1: crystal, silver. Yeah, yeah, I love those games. Yeah,
0: Totodile is the water type. Yeah, I mean, like from
1: that gen. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: No, I love Chikorita.
0: What's the ev- what's the final evolution of um the fire Pokemon in in Gold Silver? Typhlosion. Oh, Typhlosion's. A- <laughs> oh, yes, <laughs> yes. Uh oh, that's cool. Typhlosion Te- is a beast. We'll have as is a- Crokinaw. We'll, we'll have to do a Pokemon episode at some point.
1: Yeah, seriously. Now we've just started our... This yeah. is on separate Pokemon. I'm sure there are a million separate Pokemon podcasts, but I would be so down. We could do an
0: episode. Uh, yeah, we've opened the, the PC box, you know? Or we've yes, opened Bill's exactly. box. Now we've got to... Yeah, Bill's a box. Point, <laughs> you know? And, you know, the Pokemon games
2: are always a varying length speaking of which amanda
1: oh yes perfect thank you sam um so for today uh we are talking about video game length um we're talking about epically long games like tears of the kingdom baldur's gate 3 alden ring you know all these big games seem to be the current gold standard you know but should it be uh when games get too big do they start to bloat how and when do short games stand out is there a just right length for video games uh, we're going to discuss that today, um, and I will be doing our hosting and MC moderating while we chat. Uh, then later today, we're going to do a segment where one of us surprises the others with a video game hot take. Today's will be from David. Uh, we're very excited to hear what it is. Uh, and then lastly, if you've been following our fantasy gaming link from the Weekend at Dave's podcast series, series, I'm currently in the lead, given a new brilliant 96 on Metacritic for Baldur's Gate 3. But Sam drafted Starfield, so things could change at any time. Uh, And Starfield releases on September 6th. So we are going to get into a big discussion on big games and small games. All right. So game length is typically defined by the time it takes to start the game and reach the end credits rolling, um, not usually taking into account any side quests or optional content. It's not uncommon to Google a game and find a top listing showing hours to beat. Uh, To start, how do you two define a short versus medium versus long game? What's an example of each length that you're fond of?
2: So for me, a short game to me is you can finish it in plausibly in one day or, or a day or two. So some examples of short for me are Inside. That's a three, maybe three and a half hour game. Uh, and Titanfall 2, uh, the main campaign of that game, you could do in six hours. So theoretically, you could just pop in Titanfall 2 in the morning and be done with it before dinner. Uh, medium length, that to me is more of like, takes about a week. That could be in the some, maybe 10 to 20 hour range. Uh, Gears of War 2, that, uh, that length of... Uh, Campaign is something like that, and most two uh, D Zelda games, like the like the Minish Cap, for example, is like a fifteen or twenty hour game. Um, even if you do some of the side quests, it's pretty short. Long that to me is like that's that's the only thing you're doing for a while. That could be a forty hour game, it could be an eighty hour game, it could be something like Tears of the Kingdom, where the world is just so big and vast that there's no way to play it without playing it for hours and hours and hours and hours. And hours. Or something like Dragon Quest XI, where it's a fully linear story without very much open world or, or uh, you know, it, it, it's not very open to interpretation what you do in that game, but it is also a 60 hour minimum experience.
1: I like that you described that in the amount of hour or weeks that you're sort of playing that as your maybe just even main hobby, much less the game that you're playing for a while, that it's going to be a part of your life, that it's taking weeks, maybe even months to get there. Like I'm doing Witcher 3 now and I definitely I'm like, oh, this is going to be my lifestyle for a bit. Um, David, what do you think of these kinds of games?
0: Yeah, no, I typically agree with uh, Sam's definition. I think I, I tend to think more in terms of just like short and long. And I think I'll touch upon it a little later in the podcast, but I, I think there's, there's definitely some reasonings behind. I think recently in today's gaming landscape, we're seeing like a, a, a big division between long games and short games. Um, and with an increasing, like the, the middle ground, the middle game is kind of becoming more more and more non-existent. So yes, totally. yeah. So like, you know, short games, I, I think a really good short game that I love is a short hike. Like it's literally called a short hike uh it lasts maybe like one, you could definitely beat it in an hour or two and maybe if you do every little stop and do like every little micro interaction and talk with every person on on the island um takes 3 to 4 hours it's just a very well very good self-contained game that knows it's not trying to be these massive games like Elden Ring or Starfield but does mm-hmm. its self-contained you know story really well whereas the long game the aforementioned games, right? These are the titans of the industry, the games that tend to linger in our minds come game of the year time. And I agree. I love what you said, Sam, about it's kind of like how long you're playing it almost correlates with how long it's in the zeitgeist, right? People, Zelda Tears of the Kingdom is such a massive sandbox that there's so many opportunities for people to talk, go to take to social media to talk about the game um, versus... Uh, Starfield, I imagine, so many different planets and, and quests that people will be able to to embark on. There will be a long tail to that game, and it'll definitely be remembered um, in you know in the coming weeks and months. Smaller games don't tend to have that tail, unfortunately, when it comes to just in the being in the public perception, being popular, quote unquote. But from an art and game design perspective, they offer arguably more enticing experiences because they know exactly when to, to roll the credits
1: there's so many really interesting things in there and I want to touch base on a couple of them real quick uh, one we we talked recently um, in our discord channel for punish backlog about Venba a lot of us really loved it um, I wrote a review on it for the site where it's it knows what it's trying to do and it's it's just a couple hours long but it's it's really gorgeous and I love it and it's interesting though these games that you know to say that it's because it's not as long, people aren't just, they just aren't going to be playing it for as much time um, with these giant games that it's, you're still coming back to it weeks later. I mean, people are still writing about tears of the kingdom. People are still writing about (laughs) breath of the wild. Um, So that is definitely still the case as well. Um, Another thing I was thinking about was you mentioned sort of this, the distance that's created between really short games and really long games. Um, I've been thinking a lot about the outer worlds, which I think is a great length of a game. I would say it's about 40 hours where it, you know, we're thinking about in terms of Sam's week, week's estimate, maybe a four to six week game, really enjoyable. And it knows what it's doing. It's sort of like a British television show, right? In that the season, the series ends in a timely manner, unlike an American television show where it's stretched on for so many seasons. And, I've just been thinking that there aren't as many games like that that are coming out where it's sort of this distinct end period where they they know that the game is meant to end versus these big games that a lot of the promises are that they're giant games, Um, which actually brings me. I'm going to skip to uh, the next question, um, because I think you two will have really interesting thoughts about this. that 2023 so far seems to be a really big hitter for huge games already. So David was talking about Tears of the Kingdom, and Sam had written this great piece um, for our site about Legend of Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom. It really broke his brain, um, kept saying that he kept going back to it even after 100 plus hours of gameplay. Um, Other writer, KSOB, recently wrote um, that he had done one 80-hour playthrough of Baldur's Gate 3 and still felt he had barely scratched the surface. Um, And recently at Gamescom 2023 at a Bethesda event, Pete hines director of starfield said he had spent effectively 130 hours in the game and he's only just now really getting going um so how do you guys feel when you hear a quote like that and when you think about these just massive games that are sort of becoming this expectation for big great triple a games yeah i
2: it concerns me a little bit actually so like on on the positive side like i said tears of the kingdom is just such a masterpiece in every single aspect that I want that experience to last forever. Like I just want to keep going through that game and and playing all the shrine, beating all the shrines, seeing all the caves, doing as many side quests as possible. But every game can't be that. Every game can't be this massive time sink because otherwise you only you're only going to be playing like three or four games a year.
1: Right. Exactly. And, yeah. Which is crazy. Feeling.
2: Yeah, no, and, that's, and that's a big concern I have, where like right now I'm in this sort of quiet period before all these big releases in the next couple of months. And I kept thinking to myself, well, I'll, I'll hit the backlog as, as you know, or, or do some replays as a piece of mine coming out soon. will explain. But if I, if I said to myself, hey, maybe I kind of want to try Morrowind or I want to try Fallout New Vegas or something, I can't because I can't really get that deep into it because Starfield comes out next week, and I can't... And so its so Baldur's Gate 3 on PlayStation. I can't play both of those games at the same time. Mm-hmm. I just don't have the the, wherewith, the wherewithal to do that. Um, so, like, on the one hand, it's really cool that these games, you know, if executed properly, can give you this whole buffet, this whole wealth of, of content, I put in quotes, because I think that's a weak word that we use too much. But, <laughs> just, but there's just too many... Th- there's so many things to do, and there's so many different ways to play that that should be exciting and that should feel like the promise of the future of gaming but if every game is like that it just becomes kind of exhausting i i i yearn for another uncharted or something like that or another gears of war or another halo campaign where it's just here's a 10-hour game or 15-hour game and you know exactly what you're doing and it is very focused and very tight uh but we're just no one wants to do that anymore or not not as many developers want to do that anymore
1: Mm-hmm. Well, you know and It's interesting, too. I think sort of what David was saying with that these games are in sort of the cultural zeitgeist. I think there's an appeal to wanting to play the big game when everyone else is playing it. Like You want to be a part of it. You want to know you're like everybody's sharing their weird machinations of Tears of the Kingdom. Everyone's sharing what their maybe space, I don't know, what, what it'll be like in Starfield, maybe the planets or the spaceship or like the choices that you're making. Um, and I feel like Baldur's Gate, there's been all these different ranking lists and all these different pieces that are coming out where it makes you feel like, you know, you're a part of the conversation and these big games, If you miss them too much, then you'll get to miss that conversation. And so just the way that they're stacking up in the fall already, there's that pressure. I feel like the anxiety of like, oh, no, like I I have to make sure I'm like not playing anything else so that I have time to play that game in time. Um, Yeah, David, what are your thoughts? Yeah,
0: uh, this is I think it's I'm feeling it, especially this year, because I think this year is abnormally high quality. There, are, there have been a lot of really solid games, big and small, that have come out, right? We've talked on the site. You mentioned Venba. I reviewed Journey, uh, A Letter to the Future earlier this year. Gave it a 9 out of 10. Um, nice small indie adventure. Uh, I, by the time this podcast goes up, I will have reviewed Smushy Come Home, which I played at, at PAX East 2023 and, and later played through for review purposes. Really love that game as well. Like Really awesome bite-sized experiences that I played in like Two or three settings. And um yet barely anyone have have played these games. You know, that's kind of the nature of being indie and not having the, the same marketing budget as a Starfield or Zelda. But when I look at a game like Tears of the Kingdom, I haven't finished Tears of the Kingdom. I've played like half of it, and I've loved, I've loved it, I've enjoyed my time. But part of the reason why I think I've drifted away from it is not because it's not due to the quality of the game at all. It's just the fact that people kind of stopped talking about it and have moved on to the next big thing. Baldur's Gate sucked up the zeitgeist. And of course, there's the whole like controversy around controversy, I put in air quotes around like, oh, like, is it an anomaly? Is it not an anomaly? Meanwhile, we have Starfield right around the corner, um, you know, that is promising to be an equally big game, if not even bigger game. And I guess it is exhausting. To Sam's point, it's exhausting. Um, you know, there's there's a I I'm cool with a with a big game that offers a lot of content, a lot of content. With the caveat that it's good content, something like The Witcher mm-hmm. Three. I I want to make sure that I'm I'm going out of my way to play play this game because it's that damn good, right? Something like Tears of the Kingdom as well. Um, but I think when you have all these big big publishers that are pushing, um, for profit reasons, right. These public companies pushing for bigger, bigger games or, or, or lengthier games, live, you know, games as a surface because it, it retains users and retains, you know, keeps people engaged that it becomes a bit, a bit of a problem. Uh, it becomes something where like I just can't keep up with everything. And when a lot of studios try to replicate, not all the, not all the games are Zelda, like, or Starfield, it goes without saying. Right. Um, I'm just thinking about like Atlas Fallen which just came out and I think we'll have a review going up on the the site if not at the time of publishing. Um, That's like a mid-tier game that is not going to capture the zeitgeist in the same way and yet is trying to go after kind of the same open world experiences. A probably better example is like Assassin's Creed Valhalla, right? Ubisoft with all the resources to make out, to to push forward a huge game compared to say prior Assassin's Creed. But we're seeing people push back against that notion and thankfully we have... Uh, assassin's creed mirage coming out later this year to maybe alleviate this fatigue that we have around these massive games that maybe we don't need as many of
1: totally i mean i've been playing the witcher 3 from my backlog and there was a moment where i mean obviously when it came out it was newer in terms of its approach to you know it, it doesn't immediately explain like what a quest is it's got the the little question marks you know and, and maybe i hadn't played as many assassin's Creed games by then or these giant map ubisoft maps but you know i get to the map and i see that there's all these question marks and all these like cool things i could go do and even though i know you know Witcher three stands out as a game where you know if We know that the devs have put in so much work into making each of those side quests feel interesting, or even the contracts, they really want them to feel really good and valuable and not just fetch. Even just seeing a map with tons of stuff on it, just like knowing that I have to go or that I it's tempting me to go explore it. I had this moment where I just went, (sighs) like, I'm so tired already. Like, this is so much, there's so much to do. And it's both tempting and exhausting. And I know Sam especially has thoughts on. Assassin's Creed Valhalla, these games that, you know, are are sort of bloated, this Goldilocks conundrum of when is a game too long or too short? Is there just right? And I think Valhalla was one that we talked about a lot where it felt big for big sake, like versus really making things interesting. Like Mass Effect Andromeda had these big, gorgeous planets with nothing going on on them. They were so boring and unexciting. Um, And I'm curious how y'all are feeling about trying to find games that are the right length. Um, That do feel, where that content feels, content, quote unquote, feels valuable. Well, to me, I think like,
2: I just realized I always start these things with to me, as if
1: that is in (laughs) question.
2: Um, (laughs) I I think one of the issues is with open worlds specifically, because most people who play Persona 5 wouldn't say that game is too long because even though it's a 100 hour game, but it's a linear story that actually has a good uh explanation for why it is that long because you're playing through an entire calendar year. Uh it, or it's every single day in the game is an actual day your character experiences. Uh, and when the Witch with The Witcher 3, it's a the game can go in a, a number of directions. You have a lot of choices to make with how your story goes. So it actually makes sense for this world to be massive because you're creating a story for Geralt. As opposed to like something that uh, PlayStation games do a lot is take a linear story, linear narrative, there's no way to change it and just also give you an open world. So yeah. Aloy has to in Horizon Zero Dawn and Forbidden West is this savior figure who has to you know find out what's going on in this world and how to save everyone from extinction. But also she could just go like hang out and like open boxes in the middle of the woods or or go paraglide like it's it makes no sense to me that like she would be doing all this stuff when every. every she's being told that everything is at stake
1: mm-hmm. and she has
2: to do all these side quests and this is kind of how i felt about ghost of tsushima as well where it's a well-designed game and a well-designed world but they're they're telling you to do all this stuff and and like i said go to the buffet and get get some more potatoes and get some more chicken and get some more steak while you're being told you're at war with the yeah. mongolians and I know Zelda games kind of do that, too, but it, it's those games are designed to be open but also being linear. They balance that a little bit better. And I think like 10 or 15 years ago, not every game wanted to be open world because you couldn't tell a story quite as well that way. But now people now content is king and, you know, people are taking on the rock star model of we'll give you this massive open world, the sandbox, do whatever you want but also it's a linear story, but then the endings are never as satisfying as they could be. And and we get like, like I said about horizon forbidden West where it's none of us really loved. The, well, okay. None of us, but I, I didn't really, well, like, you, well, you was Amanda, you and me, we talked about a lot of problems we have with the story of that yes, game. Yeah, right? And like, totally. and, and saving Assassin's Creed Valhalla it felt like there was no stakes for anything. And so you make these big, massive open worlds, and these, and these games that are long just for the sake of being long.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, and what's interesting. I was, I had written down in some of my notes, uh, red dead redemption 2, which I love that game. And I think it, plays into a little bit of the linear storyline and also the open world in a way that really works and that there's a there's a chapter progression of the linear main story and so in some of the earlier chapters you know your your goal is like we're laying low we've committed these you know you're part of this gang where you're like we've committed crimes you know we're chilling at our camp you know we're we're trying to like raise some money we're figuring things out and it makes sense that more, you know, Arthur Morgan can be kind of going around and getting into trouble and doing, you know, or exploring things or helping this photographer take pictures of wolves or whatever. But as the game stakes get higher, you know, it makes sense that you can maybe do less side quests later like you actually i found myself wanting to just focus on the main story i'm like the, the stakes are getting higher like things are getting stressful i don't want to go goof around like in this other corner of the map when you know the world is waiting to be saved which is a lot of the, the conceit of a lot of these games is their world at least is requiring some kind of saving and and it can feel sort of ridiculous you know and it's interesting though Another game that I think that did do this well is Mass Effect Three, the Citadel DLC. Ma- is does it very clever of being like you want to, you're you're on this epic me- fight against these evil, you know, space aliens, and you're trying to save the known galaxy and. Your ships, you know, your spaceship is being fixed. So it's okay that you're hanging out with your buddies, you know, in the main city, like, and having a basically a goodbye party. Um, I think it's funny the way that games try to balance the, the openness, the exploration, the fun with the, hey, like, there's a big story we're trying to tell here. What do you think, David?
0: Yeah, I think for me, like, um, it comes back to when I think about the sweet spot in a game. I really go back to the kind of artistic uh, intent and merit of its uh, of the game and its creators. So what I mean by that is, I consider a game just right lengthwise when the story has said everything it needs to be said, or you know the player has done everything that there needs to be done. Um, and I think the nuance there is that recently in game development, um, maybe I kind of danced around it, but to be very explicit, we're, we're in a we're in a gaming landscape where companies feel compelled to just make games not based on the artistry, but based on, you know, what they need the players to do. We saw with Destiny, right? Like, there's no reason why um, something should have, like, these arbitrary battle passes and just pulls that fail to enhance the actual gameplay experience. Persona, Sam, I know talked a lot about Persona, and I I totally agree. That's a massive game by anyone's stretch. I mean, for an RPG, it's kind of standard, 100-hour epic. I don't necessarily always love that, despite loving RPGs, because I just don't have the time to play them uh, nowadays as a working individual. And that's why one of my favorite games of all time is Chrono Trigger. That's a game where the artists uh, at the time made the game that they wanted to make. Maybe there were some some tactical constraints and some reasons why it had to be like a, a really short, succinct 20, 15 to 20 hour experience. But regardless, they were able to tell the story they needed to tell in that time and it doesn't feel like a player's losing out on any experiences and that's just an incredible example and yet a lot of rpg makers nowadays don't follow that blueprint and i don't quite understand why i understand that it's the standard to make a really long game but we have an exemplar of an rpg done exceedingly well and yet very few other studios take the same cue there's also the element of like Again, public versus private. So um, I think of like on the flip side of things, think of like Kojima and like Kojima Productions. I like Death Stranding. I, I really enjoyed Death Stranding. But that's a game that is if, if you're playing through it, it's a bit of a sludge. It's a bit of a trek. But maybe that was the artistic int- intent. You know, the idea that you're this porter that you're, that's transporting packages and you're stumbling over everywhere and you're doing all these deliveries alongside this really gripping narrative. But it feels like a bunch of fetch quests are tied to it. I'm not saying that that, you know, that artistic decision makes it a great game. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. But I respect, you know, the integrity of the game makers to make the the game that they want to create, whether that's Chrono Trigger or whether that's Death Stranding. And I think once it gets to the point where you're not thinking of the player experience, the user experience, and you're thinking of the shareholder experience, that's when it becomes a problem for me.
1: Can I, can I just a, jump? Sorry. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. We're both very excited to respond to that. So you, you go first, Sam. Uh,
2: yeah. So something that you said, David, that uh, really struck a chord with me is you're talking about Chrono Trigger, which is also a game that I, I adore. One of the reasons why they got away with that game being kind of short is because it has, I believe, 13 different endings and it's designed, it, and I think it also pioneered the new game plus, so you're supposed to play the game multiple times and try different things and have see all the different endings. And that's something that we kind of lost recently is not lost, but it's not as prevalent as it used to be Is games that are designed to be played multiple times. And, you know, whether it's playing on a higher difficulty again, or doing a new game plus, or for example, like resident evil games uh, and, and resident evil four remake allows for this too. They're designed for you to play them multiple times. So it's like a 10 or 15 hour experience, but if you play it on different difficulties, if you play it where you know in a second playthrough, Leon has all the weapons he has before, so you just kind of blow through, or you could you get achievements for having a playthrough where you only use the pistol and the knife. Like it's designed for you to play through the campaign several times. So whenever I hear people say, oh this game isn't that long, well, we didn't used to think that way about it. It used to just be this game, I, I've I played. I'm sure David, you have too. How many times have you played the campaign of Halo Three? Like probably like what five, six times all the way through.
0: Countless like, times. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and you, and you play it by yourself, and you play it on on try legendary and legendary, oh, you yeah. try and co op, and you try and co op online. Like, I just feel like we've kind of lost the plot there, where it's games are designed for one really long playthrough, and I kind of liked it better when yeah it would be a normal amount of time, so you could be like, okay, I get the gist, and get the experience but now here's other ways to play the same thing. I don't know. I, I guess we we've kind of diverged from that. Uh, yeah. broadly speaking.
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting that you say that. I mean, a game that I love and obsessed with and keep trying to get Sam to play is Pyre, um, by Supergiant games. That was their 2017 game. Um, and then that was 2017, and then a couple of years later in 2020 they released Hades, and both of those games have obviously a replay element. In Hades, it's critical; it's this, it's a roguelike, so you you have to keep replaying. You have to it's and replaying is maybe the wrong word, but you have to keep doing these runs and these playthroughs. You you're getting better. You're meant to just grind and evolve, and you're repeating similar levels, similar experiences. Um, whereas Pyre is it is this beautiful cast of characters. I think the campaign. I'd say it's probably somewhere around 12 to 15 hours. You know, you could play it in a weekend or a week or two. It's beautiful, really fun gameplay. And it's meant to be replayed. Like you're meant to finish, roll credits, go back again, and still enjoy it and find new things. And there's a lot of different, you know, choosing what characters to use when, which actions to take where. Like there's massively different story elements that you can explore by replaying it versus, you know, this expectation that you're talking about, Sam, where, Hades, it's just a couple of years later, and Hades, obviously, incredible game that really changed a lot of the zeitgeist and conversation around these, you know, indie games that are exciting and engaging, and what does it mean to be a game of the year? And, you know, oh, I love just like playing and playing and playing and playing. Hades helps create, you know, that expectation of this is one game I'm going to keep playing like it's still the same run through you know people i'll talk to i'll say yeah you know i I beat it a few times and they go well you didn't really beat it until you've seen like these, you've got into that location like 30 times. And, you know, talking sort of this player perspective um, that you were describing, David, of exhaustion, like I got to this point where I was like, I I do want to know more of these endings, but I'm really tired. Like, I'm just tired of playing this game. I've been playing it for hours and hours and hours, and it hasn't changed. Like my skill level is adjusting, but not maybe at the exponential rate of some other people's. And so there is a burnout that comes with games that in order to play it truly for the first time, it's so long, like near is a game right. where love that, but like you're in order to truly finish it, that's and that's the main, you know, linear storyline. That's dozens and dozens of hours just to quote unquote, finish it for the first time.
0: Right. Well, I, I, I'll just jump in here. I, I think you bring up an, like an excellent, excellent example because like Hades, like Hades is, I just checked uh, the how long to beat how long to be. It's a great resource for people looking at game length when they want to, you know, deciding whether to to play a new game or not. And that game ranges from like 20 something hours, if you just kind of like do the bare necessities to like 45 plus, 80 plus, you know, as -hmm. with any Mm -hmm. roguelikes, you can get a lot of value out of it. But what I love about Hades, and I I adored Hades, I do need to go back and play Pyre and others, but um, what I adore about Hades, games like Bash and whatever, um, you... You basically get what you want to take out of it. If you just want to play Hades like a few times and just get the gist of it and enjoy it for the gameplay sake, like you can do that. You don't need to like get every little story string and talk to every character, but you can certainly do that. And you can do, you can, I played at the kind of the natural conclusion where you did all the runs necessary to beat Hades. And that was a really rich and fulfilling narrative arc. And it, and I got plenty of value out of it, but there are people that'll do you know gameplay multipliers and whatever, and it, they'll they'll have scores and scores and scores of hours in that game. I I think the beauty of it, and this also touches on what you said, Sam, is that it's not this massive world. It's like there's three zones in the game. There are three. There are only three zones. Like after a while, you start to see everything. But it's the gameplay is so good, the writing is so sharp, the voice acting is so sublime that you don't care because it's just a gameplay hold its own. Like it, it's, it's the one, one of the rare roguelikes that I've played where it's very clear. Supergiant made an intentional decision uh, design wise to use roguelike, rogue, a roguelike for a narrative purpose rather than, Oh, we don't really have the funding or, or the, the, the person power to, to make a sprawling game. And I think that's a shame because, you know, maybe developers feel pressured to either compete with the big, The big players, right, the Baldur's Gates of the world, or you have to go full, you know, two hour experience where I think Supergiant kind of cracked the code of that mid tier where you can be like, no, we can like really lean into some of the strengths of being indie, but also take our time developing this game and make it something that is really going to shine.
1: And it is the artistic vision. Like it feels like that's the game that they wanted to make. And it feels really good. Um, I recently played Deathloop for the first time. And that's a game where I felt that, and I'm a big fan of the studio, but I, I felt like there was a lot of struggle. Like I could feel the game sort of pressing against itself. Like it has these, Lots of levels, lots of things going on, but also an emptiness and or a loneliness in it, and these sort of competing modes of this like online hunting mode versus this offline solo player. Like it, Sam. Actually, I was talking to Sam about it, and Sam said, "You know, I'm happy for them, but it feels like they made a game that they wanted to make." I'm just not interested in it. I think that's what she said, Sam. And yeah, I, and I was interested in it and I came to it and I still found myself wanting. And maybe this is, we're talking about sort of the business pressures on studios. Like I, I played Control a couple of years ago, loved it, got to the end and was like, there's so many loose ends here. Like, I really want to find the end of the story. And like perfectly timed, a screen pops up and says, DLC coming in a couple months. And I'm like, man, like, you know, I put in the time and the energy and you wanted me to take long enough on this game and be so invested in it that I would be willing to drop money on the DLC when it comes out. And there's sort of that business sense of it is like, how long can we keep you talking about this game? So that way you spend more money on it or also get your friends to spend money on it. And like the Pete Hines quote I shared earlier I'm not sure that bragging about the yep. 130 hours, like that's not something that made me excited. It made no. me stressed. Yeah, Not at all. Yeah.
0: No, I think that that is, and I think a lot of people, I'm sure there are some people, I'm sure there are some gamers or players that they hear a quote like that and they're like, yes, like maybe they're playing a few games a year. They're Maddens, they're FIFAs, they're Call of Duties and and a couple big releases and something like that appeals to them. And I understand. But on, on the flip side, it's like, if you are trying to to play a wider swath of of games, you you just don't have the time for something like that. And I would much rather have a a much more focused game. Even a, even a, a, I get it. It's a spacefaring game. It's a game where you have to like go to different planets. But then you kind of end up with the no man's sky. Uh, and and I love Hello Games. I love what they've done post post launch with that game. But at least at launch, like that's a game that's a mile wide and an inch deep. It's just like there's yeah. no substance at all to that experience.
1: You know, this is great. So this brings me to another question I had, which is that, you know, how does game length or at least what's pitched to you shape the way or timing that you play or start a game? You know, I've definitely had um, times in my life where I go, oh, Elden Ring sounds cool. My life's kind of a mess right now. I don't really have time to like invest in a game that's going to change my like. <laughs> it's going to require a lifestyle. Like I'm just, you know, busy working, personal life, hectic, you know, and so I will sometimes go for these smaller, shorter games that I know are digestible or the I won't forget the controls, you know, if I am not able to play for two weeks or something. So how does that affect the way that y'all play games?
2: Massively, massively. (laughs)
1: Like,
2: well, you said about Elden Ring. One of the reasons I was able to get so into Elden Ring was because I convinced myself early on, you are not going to actually finish this.
1: (laughs) I am not not
2: good enough at this game. I am not patient enough to get good enough at it. So I'm just going to, see as far as i can go and the minute it stops being fun i stop and that took about 60 hours which is still a a lot of playing time but I, i i just if i go on how long to beat and i see like hey main story 50 hours you know main plus extra 90 hours completion is 220 hours oh god i one of two things happens One, either I just read as many reviews as possible and just see like, okay, what can I get out of this experience? Or I'm just, I'm out. And like I was thinking about this with Final Fantasy 16, which I have not played, but I kept thinking recently like, you know, maybe I hear people have some problems with the story and maybe the pacing of it, but the combat looks really cool. I might want to try that. I'm like, do I really want to buy this game and just not finish it? when the whole point of Final Fantasy games is to play through this big epic story. And I just, I don't know. I, 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 like I said, I'm I'm happy for people who, you know, like friends of mine who don't buy a lot of video games and just got really into Baldur's Gate or or into Elden Ring or to Tears of the Kingdom or something. I, I just can't play games like that all the time. I can do maybe two or three a year and I feel like we get like six a year now. Yeah. And that's way too many.
0: Totally. Like, I feel like that, Therein lies the rub for me. It's, there are way too many games. Trying the Games are getting longer and too many games are trying to do the same thing. So like, I feel like we have, not to use, I like the word content. We're seeing so much, like think about the st- this year. There have been so many TV shows, movies, um, uh, books. Like games are just one slice of the entertainment sphere. And I feel like there's been so many awesome experiences that I've, Partaken in, and I can't wait to write up my end of the year list. It's just going to have so much stuff there, but the the side the side effect there is that I have to be much more discerning about what I actually pick up and play. So whereas, and I'm not I'm just using the score to give you know a, a bit of an idea for for listeners. But you know, whereas in the past, maybe during the PS2 era or just where there was. You didn't have the the indie space. You didn't have a lot of like games as a service, more persistent on, uh, online experiences. Um, I could pick up more games, and I could then maybe trial a wider swath of games. If a game was like a seven out of ten, um, I could have fun with that, and it would just make kind of the ebbs and flows, the the peaks and valleys of of, of game um, enjoyment even more pronounced when like that masterpiece comes out and hits my my PlayStation or GameCube. Whereas now I'm just like, what game is going to be like a nine out of 10? Like, I, I don't even have the the headspace to play like a, a pretty, pretty good game, especially if it's like t- 40, 60 plus hours. I'm like, I'm just, it's good. It's a good thing that a game like Baldur's Gate or Tears of the Kingdom or Elden Ring exists because those are the games that to your point say, I'm like, I'm going to invest my time into those. And then I'm just going to, I'm just going to pepper in the smaller experiences like, like Journey. Um like season, a letter to the future, et cetera, when I have the spare time.
1: Yeah, you know, and this is sort of getting to this question that I had of how do we equate runtime with value? And I think it's a messy thing, right? Where there's something to be said for, you know, this is a game that, you know, some of these big games, you have to buy the next-gen consoles, which are hundreds of dollars, and then the games are coming out like $80, and the DLCs and the packs and the whatever, you know, and it it's not cheap, you know, it's not cheap to play, like, all of these big games, and I think that there's... I feel like there's some communications coming out from some of these studios and developers and publishers where they're trying to convince you that it's w- worthwhile to spend that much money. Like you're buying this thing that's going to be your main hobby for two months and it's going to be worth it because it's going to be like this other life that you get to have because, you know, the smaller games, I, I was thinking about Venba um, I was trying to like, convince someone else to give it a try and i was saying like i try to think of it as buying a ticket to go see you know a movie at an independent theater like it's the experience it's a couple hours long it's beautiful it's going to go right to these like artists that's really cool um you know but you kind of you know what you're getting into and and it's going to be good and you can feel good about it and and i promise it'll deliver on that you know but these other games you know if you're not getting them on a pass like game pass or ps plus or something like these are literal investments of your money much less your time right like where you want you want it to land and it's we're not probably as a society buying games on discs as much as anymore so you're not Maybe going to go return it to a game store and exchange it for something else, like it's a digital thing that you bought probably, and it's you know not not that it all has to be about the value and the and the money of it. it like did you get your money's worth, but it is something I think about when I hear from these studios they're trying to sell me on these like insanely long games they're like you're gonna really enjoy it and if you don't enjoy it after hour fifty, just play another eighty hours and you'll get to see this whole other side of it that you're really gonna love it's just a lot,
0: yeah. I mean- Sorry, go ahead, Sam.
2: Yeah, so, uh, first of all, Amanda, I do love the idea. I hear so often, like, don't worry, it gets good after 15 hours.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
2: um, but I, here's a question I guess I have. Why is it we only do this with video games, where people ask, like, man, let's get, this game's only, like, five hours long. Is it really deserved to be 60
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
2: And, like, let me ask you something. Is Blue Bloods a more valuable show than Succession? because there are three times as many episodes. No. no. One of those shows is a masterpiece, and the other one's an average police procedural. Like, but, you know, is a is Oppenheimer... Should you have paid more for a ticket to Oppenheimer mm-hmm. than to Barbie? Because it's an hour longer. No. No yeah. one would say yes to that question. Not one True, person.
1: true, true.
2: Unless you're talking about, like, going to IMAX or something. But I, I understand. I understand if you pay $60 for Wolfenstein 2, and that's a 10-hour game you might be thinking, well, is that it? I, I'm done in a week. That was $60. Yeah, I, I can be sympathetic to that. I can also say, A, you can look up how long these things are before you buy them. B, do you want 50 hours of mediocrity? Like, just because it's 50 hours? Do you want Assassin's Creed Valhalla because it's like eating saltine crackers for 60 hours? Or do, you, or do you want something that actually has some substance? That exactly. Has-
1: well, you know, but I think like the studios seem to be saying, like, yeah, don't you want it? Don't you want more Soul Teens?
2: And like, and I guess some people do, but also like, I guess that's just not me. I don't, I don't value, I don't look at value that way. To me, value is qu- about quality and about like, yeah, I would be disappointed if I could beat Tears of the Kingdom in five hours, but at the same time, like, I would rather have a short game with a lot of value in it. with, Sorry, a lot of uh, quality to it that's that's impressive that's doing something creative gameplay wise then just like another long game that's like hey you have a couple of choices you can make here and you can upgrade your armor it's plus seven plus seven percent you know against poison damage and you know there's all kinds of battle passes and stuff you could buy like there's just so many games that do that now and i just am so tired of it and i i just I, i just we don't think of anything else that way no one's like the odyssey should cost more as a book than anything else. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Um, You know, know I I think it comes back to like kind of the barrier to entry. So to use your example of like television, um, I, I mean, I totally agree. Like, I mean, like I'm, I'm always a fan of like the shorter and leaner a show. Like I'd much, I'm always a fan of like, like, um, Succession, Breaking Bad, or on the movie side, like Shawshank Redemption, one of my favorite films, and like that's a crisp like ninety minute film. And I know that there's a lot of like screenplay purists that are just like ninety minutes is the you know like the this SNL sketch short ass movie, right? Like, I I think though with television, you can like you can always just flip to another channel theoretically, and when you have access to like something like Netflix, um, it 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 lessens it lowers that barrier um, to entry. And like maybe on the, on the movie side, yeah, movie, movie tickets, you know, prices have gone up, but still I know that at least for me and my friends, when something like Barbenheimer comes along, like there's no, like there's not really the opportunity cost between like, I can pay 15 bucks for Barbie or I can pay 15 bucks for Oppenheimer. It's like the, the question's always like, okay, like, like we can, we're going to see these, like, we're going to put down the $30. It's just a question of, of when, um, whereas for, for games, I just think it's like the 60 $70 price point. I mean, I've always been a proponent and of the belief that people people complained when games' prices went from 60 to $70. And um, I, I get it because it's not like the, the, the money is going back to developers. It's going to publishers. But games used to, you know, if you account for inflation or whatever, like games in the past used to be more expensive. And you're getting so much value out of these games. Um, if you want it time-wise, you're getting tons of hours. And there are plenty of games like Hades. Where you're getting just quality replayability, um, I. It's a shame that we're at the point where like the games are priced at a place where it's just not accessible to people, and they're and they're making those those opportunity costs in their mind. I wish we could get to a, a place where people could embrace, say, the forty dollar game, the thirty dollar game. But I think people have it trained in their mind that like seventy dollar game is premium. And if I pay $30 for a game like I think Stray was Stray like 20, 30, something in the middle, oh, I'm not getting the you know, that quality experience. I mean, it, it's unfortunate that we're at that point.
1: Yeah, and, and all to say, I think the points that we're all getting in here is that it's like it's messy and it's complicated. And I think that it's interesting that game length is the thing that comes up the most. Like it's not that people are saying, um, oh, you know, let's let's say let me look up Venva's Metacredit because we've been talking about a lot of uh, Metacredit. Let's just check it right now. I think so, it's in the 80s right? or something. Is this 80s. Okay, great. And I would actually be interested looking at where those are at or how much of it is with in a length thing because I think quality-wise, I think beautiful, great game. Like, really lovely um, but it is quite short. And so it's like, out of all the things that keep coming up as this flag of where it, a game can be good or bad or it's value to us. Game length is one of these critiques that's coming up a lot. It's not the writing. Oh, the writing of Oxen Free is so good, so I'm willing to pay you know this much money. But people are like, how long does it take to be? Like that is often the question that we ask each other, right? or when we're talking about games, even when we were discussing our summer backlog choice. Yeah. Last year we played Fire Emblem Three Houses. great game really long, you know? And so one of the things, one of the, and it took all, literally all summer, like for us all to play it. And this summer we picked Signalis, which is, or Signalis, whatever it's at, And it's so much shorter, the hours to be, you know, hours to beat said, it's like 10 hours and, with up to 14. And that was much more appealing for a lot of people. Like even on our site, we all were like, yeah, that's that's a more digestible game whether or not actually which is interesting people less people have played and engaged with the backlog this summer than they did with last summer so I, I don't know what that says maybe everyone's life is just crazy um we were all sort of in our like covid summer bubble still last year a little bit but you know it's just interesting that out of all the qualities or, or characteristics you know if every game has writing art sound of some kind even if it's no sound or no art you know whatever it is like there's all these different factors that go into a game but one of the things that comes up a lot is hours to be and how yeah. uh, like how many hours you can play it
0: i mean i'd be curious to know from either of your angles like um i know when i'm reviewing a game i i know that for a lot right a review is ultimately to help a, a buyer decide whether or not to make a purchase on a game and i totally understand that but i think when we when we try to elevate games and talk about the game you know games as art which i know we all agree with i when i write a review candidly i I think about it in a vacuum i'm like if i'm you know when when we're not talking about the the price and you know games that you can pick up the game anywhere or it's available on a streaming service etc like what what is the feed what is the feeling going to be then right like are people going to really when journey released i mean journey was that kind of game that was two hours but everyone loved the hell out of it it was one of the first indie games to really be that quality that It was his, her, they, right? It was was his, her, them. Um, But for the other games that weren't like that, it's, I don't know. I just, I I like to think in the vacuum, like, am I going to think back on that and really remember those two hours versus could I play a 200 hour game and not remember any of it? Very, very real scenario there. And I, I, nine nine times out of 10, 10 times out of 10, I'm going to go with the two hour game. That gives me that memorable experience I'll never forget. Over two hundred middling hour game.
2: Yeah, and I think one of the I, I was I liked Venba a lot too. Uh, and when I say I thought it was too short, it's not because I think the length it was is inherently too short for a game. I just thought there was there was more to do with that story and those characters. I agree. Um, yeah, I, I I think like I, I've I've said this a million times: take the good short game over the. The mediocre long game but it's also it's hard to tell man like i i i there have been so many times where i'm just so enamored with a game while, while i was playing it and then you know a couple months later i totally forgot about it so it's 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 you never really know and i think that's one of the reasons why i do try to lead on the I don't know, the mid to, mid mid length games i would say because those at least If it's memorable, great. If it's not, at least I didn't spend too much time.
1: Yeah. You know, I mean, I think too, thinking about like some of our favorite games, I know that Sam and I have talked about Inside before. That's a game where I remember, I remember like where I was when I played it. I remember that I sat there for hours. I remember how I felt when it ended. I was just like shaken to my core. And it's this really crisp, distinct memory. And I remember Sam's game of the year last year was um, Immortality. Totally weird game that I would say is on the shorter side, but like really exciting and interesting and weird. Um, But then you think about what are the games that, you know, you're going to say, when people ask you, what are your favorite games? You know, we, we are all saying these long franchise games. We're saying Legend of Zelda, we're saying Final Fantasy, we're saying Mass Effect, we're saying, you know, Gears of War, even you mentioned Uncharted or in your replay piece, you know, we're talking about games that do envelop us in these longer experiences. And so it's, it's complicated. And I guess, I guess what we are saying is we want less of the bloat of like games that are big just to be big, but that it's, that it's a complicated place. And I think as a gamer, as gamers, like we experience the art in such an engaged way, right? Like the time hours to beat is not hours that I'm sitting passively in a movie theater. You know, let's say reading actually feels to me closer to a video game because it's asking me to engage with the content. Like you're imagining as you're reading, you know, or even if it's an audio book, you're now listening, you know, you're experiencing and, but games, especially because they're interactive, the hours, the length, maybe it does say something because it's asking for the hours of our lives. It's the time that we are in that game space, making choices, living this other life, even yeah, temporarily.
2: I, I just think one thing I want to jump off from what you said about like, yeah, some of my favorite games of all time are like these sort of mid-length to longer experiences because I want the long game if they do it right. That's the thing. Is like it, so. It really, comes down to is like is is it good? Did you make something that's actually worth my time? And I feel like when you do, I'm a, I want to especially praise you for making it worth my time.
1: That's a perfect ending for that section. I love it. Um, we're gonna take a quick break, um, and then when we come back, David's gonna blow our minds probably with a video game hot take. Stay tuned. Okay so we are exploring a couple of different segments on our podcast Uh, on our video game blog Punishbacklog.com, we have a hall of fame feature last time sam inducted the nintendo ds and we all reflected on what that platform meant to us and some of our favorite games today we're going to try a video game hot take where one person surprises the other two with their opinion and we debate it this segment was inspired by my friend brooks so shout out to him i'm an unapologetic stephen a smith fan so i'm really ready to get into it Uh, today's surprise hot take is coming from david so take it away when you're ready
0: awesome yeah so this one um i guess to give a little context it's very topical and it's so gamescom at the time of recording i think gamescom has just wrapped up the biggest trade show game video game trade show in the world and at gamescom phil spencer the head of xbox recently talked with or struck a deal let's say with larian studios makers of baldur's gate 3 to bring Baldur's Gate to the Xbox ecosystem. Now, we always knew that Baldur's Gate at some point was going to come to Xbox. But um, as people are probably acutely aware, it launched first on PC. It's coming to uh, PS5 as a fast follow. And then Xbox had always been this nebulous 2024 date. And the reason, because Larian's been very transparent, what they said is that Xbox... They had to figure out some ways to make the parity work between Xbox Series X and Xbox Series S. Uh, Xbox Series X obviously no problem getting that game to run there, but Series S with kind of the the lower horsepower or lesser horsepower on that platform was proving d- difficult. So they kind of brokered a deal because I think Phil Spencer understood that we need to get the, <laughs> we need to capture this zeitgeist and and we you know it's a it's a potential game of the year winner. We need to have this game on our platform asap. They're able to, to confirm that they're bringing uh, the game to Xbox Series X and S with the caveat that Series S is going to be missing some features, um, some kind of uh, multiplayer functionality um, and a few other maybe minor, minor things. But it brings me to my hot take, which is that I think this is absolutely the right choice from Phil Spencer. I think it's time to let PS4, Xbox One go completely and for Series S, Hey, like, I know you bought, people out there bought a Series S. Not advocating for people to abandon Series S, but I think it's time to drop that parody requirement. Sizzling hot
2: take.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think it's, I think especially with games that require you know, you use, use this word horsepower. Like they require the processing power. Like at what point is it holding studios back and holding game audiences back further to be like, well, we made this like sort, we're still well, we could still we could still make it for the one. And, and they as sure, like we could do that. You know, it's like, come on. Like at a certain point, you know, every industry moves forward. At, at a certain point, every the technical standards of every industry move along and games I think it's time for these games... Like, it, it's time for these games to be available. I think also the time for, like, platform exclusives is over. I don't think it's cute anymore. Like, I think it's it's just done. Like, we're, nobody's impressing anyone with platform exclusives, at least to me. Like, I, I don't think it's cute. I And I, I think if you're... The only thing that's holding you back is that you're trying to get it as good for, like especially with Xbox, with X and S, I think it's a tricky situation. Like, I think you're right. Like, maybe just let the S go.
0: But do you, but sorry to push, I'm going to play the bad guy here. This is, I'm channeling my inner Stephen A. Would (laughs) Would you take it a step further and say PS4 and Xbox One need to go?
1: Yeah, I probably say I would. I probably would, even though I still have a PS4 and an X- Xbox One that I use. I think that if it's holding the games back from moving forward, but you know, I don't know. It's tricky. I mean, I now that I've had a PS5, I'm not sure I've seen any game where I'm like, wow, I don't know if that like, like, right. really, you couldn't have run Deathloop like on PS4. <laughs> I think you could have, like, you know, and so I don't know. I well, wow, I'm not I sure think it's, I it's been, been enough idea. time.
2: It's also been like three. It's been three years since these consoles have come out. I don't think it's that weird to be like PS4, Xbox one. Let's move on for the series. S like I, this kind of was inevitable, but it's also right now the only example of it happening. Sure. Sure. Like, so I, I yeah, I don't know how far I would go with that, but yeah, I, so I'm the kind of person where I'm not, a, I'm not. Fundamentally against console exclusivity, if there's at least some vision for why it needs to be on that console, uh like Nintendo's really the Nintendo
1: boy, yeah. Well, but, but,
2: but, but like, but like, for example, like the reason why Xbox put everything on PC is because there's just no reason not to. Like, it's not they have a controller sure. that can't do anything that mm-hmm. you can only be used on Xbox. Whereas, like, you know, that you have the Dual Sense for PS5, and there's some games that use that in very specific ways. Um. The, the the part of your take uh david that i do find i want to say like extra hot but like i are, are you are you so i just want to get some clarity i sure. guess are you yeah. saying that sure. like they shouldn't have to compromise like basically they should game companies shouldn't have to make compromises in favor of accessibility not like like disability accessibility no
0: I mean, I, like yeah, I guess...
2: Like, making their games availability, I, I guess, is a better word.
0: I'm saying that any any developer, including developers at Microsoft, say, and I know this is unrealistic, but let's say uh, Gears 6 is coming out, right? And let's say that uh, the folks at... Let's say the folks at the Coalition decide tr- to stay true to our vision, we're just going to make this game for Series X. It's not going to run on Series S. And if, you're, if you b- bought a Series S with the expectation that you're playing all these games, there's some nuance here because obviously if Microsoft made a promise, I think they should fulfill it. But I, I almost think that the the Series S specifically is almost like, as you said, we're halfway through the console generation. And I, I would argue we haven't even really seen the real horsepower of the PS5 and, and Series X. We haven't seen the full promise. So I think if, if Series S is holding back that vision for certain games, I, I'm kind of cool with, I, I know it's easy for me to say, I don't own a Series S, but I say you got to make that 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 decision, especially third party. But I would even maybe stretch to Microsoft. But I'm curious what you think of that.
2: Um, I mean, I, I think the communication thing is what matters the most, in my opinion. Like, sure. If Microsoft said they're going to be like any Series X game can run on Series S. So right. they have to they kind of have to do that. Yeah. Um, but like on a general principle thing, like. I am kind of of the opinion that if you, we have more access to information about these products than ever. So like when a, a friend of mine got an Xbox series S a few months ago and he's like, there's not a lot of space on this. Mm. How am I supposed to like <laughs> download a bunch of games? Right. <laughs> and I'm like, and I understand like that's, that is, that is frustrating. Right, but also totally. like you knew, you knew that going right, in. totally. So uh, that's, I don't
1: know. That, it, and, and that it's still an expensive thing. Like it's still, it's not like the yeah. S is like insanely cheaper than the X, right? Like it's still, you're still buying this like large. It's, two, it's $200 thing.
2: cheaper. I think that's pretty significant.
1: Oh, is it? I thought yeah. the price differential yeah, was smaller. What, what are they? What are they? 500? Oh, that's significant. Yeah. Well then I, I take my point back, <laughs> like, <laughs> but, but, but I guess that in the defense, like in, in that defense, it, I would say then like, well, yeah, Microsoft then like, if you're going to say that this can do the same thing, then do it. Like I actually have a, a point that bothered me a lot. Pentiment came out last year, mm-hmm. which I wrote about on the site and Pentiment was by Obsidian and, which is owned under Microsoft and it, really cool, like indie-ish, you know, like as indie as it can be, but like a weirder experimental game from a big studio and, Super awesome. And it it came out for the quote unquote like last gen um on the one as well as the XNS and it ran like shit on the Xbox One. Like it was almost unplayable and it broke during my playthrough. Like a save breaking bug. You know, I like sent it to Obsidian Help and they were like, Whoa, that's so crazy. It sucks. You know, like they, they didn't have any fix for me. Like it was it was wild to me. And what made me so mad about it is that I, I, I was just like, I wish you hadn't even released this on the one. Right. Because at some point, at some point I would have gotten an X or an S or, you know, if it had been ported to the switch or something like I would have played it then. And I would have had a great, I would have been able to enjoy the game more instead some devs at this studio had to work on a port for making it run on slower tech. And it and they probably didn't get as much QA because of the fact that even I sent it to them. Oh, they're yeah. like, that's nuts. You know, they're like, yeah. that's crazy. <laughs> like, you know, that's wild. Could you send me the version? I'm like, yeah. I'm like sending them all the stuff and they're like, wow, nuts. You know, I'm like, and then I go on Google and I wrote this piece for our site, and I got a comment from a person being like, This happened to me too. And and so I'm not like the only one that ever experienced right. this. And so I do think that there's something to be said for the pressure that is put on developers to make games run on certain things. And I, I do agree on the communications and the promises um, of X and S. I don't think I ever fully appreciate it. Uh, I clearly didn't even know the price differential until two seconds ago. Um, Cause I never have thought about buying one, but that it's also these promises of like, from microsoft that i think are in general these promises from microsoft of like we're gonna have really cool games on this platform we promise and it's gonna be worth it that you bought this and it's gonna work the same on both of them like i think these are sort of the same problems that we've seen from microsoft in general
0: yeah i was just gonna say i feel like that's a classic like the 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 clearest example that I see of kind of expectations versus reality with Cyberpunk, where we saw a game oh, that God. CD Projekt Red's like, yeah, this is going to run great on all these systems. And then it came out uh, fine on PC, right? Regardless of whether you liked the game or, or didn't like it, but ran terribly on, on, on now previous gen consoles. And so that I think is a very clear example of a game that should not have released at all on previous consoles. Yeah. And, and, you know, I get it that there's scope creep when you're making a game, Um, but at some point, like you got to like put the the consumer first, right? I I would much rather you got to cancel the version for the, the, the older gen console and, and have an uncompromised, you know, uh, kind of not uncompromised scope, but just vision for, you know, one console less is more, (laughs) at least when it comes to your release platforms, um, than what we saw. And if that means like, there's going to be some pushback, like PR wise, uh, you know with people who wanted to play on ps4 like I, I totally understand like consumers being upset but think about what happened like even worse pr nightmare So a game comes out yeah. people buy money like buy it and then immediately refund it because it's so bad
1: right right and the fact that the news outlets are covering it that would never otherwise cover like video games you know it's like coming right. up in the times yeah, you know where right. they're talking about because right which is nuts and i think you know talking sort of about the game length and discussion that we're talking about earlier with Baldur's Gate 3, really smart move from them from Larian this year, I think to move their launch up for PC where they're like, you know what? It is ready for PC. So we're going to release it a month earlier, partially because we know it's, like the PS version, the PlayStation five version is coming out close to Starfield. We're clearly worried about that. We do want you to play our game. So we're going to run the P- PC mm. version now, you know, and right. what that enabled to do is by the time it gets to Gamescom, Phil Spencer's freaking out, you know, and that he's then also then putting <laughs> Microsoft money right. now between getting this port for the X, you know, and hopefully the S for people who have the S including, you know, Sam's friend. So <laughs> that, who has it? And it's just an interesting, it's an interesting place to be of games coming out and on what platforms and and when it's, when it's holding back the artistic vision, which is what we were talking about earlier too. All right. So we're coming into our outro of the podcast. So I'll start with saying um, a question we like to use to wrap it up. What are you guys playing right now that you're enjoying?
2: Uh, I got Vampire Survivors on Switch. Oh uh, yeah, I, I played it on Xbox a few months ago and it was good. It's a, it's a very well-designed roguelike uh auto auto battler, but I I just kind of dropped off it. But I decided to get it on Switch. It was it's really cheap. It's only five dollars. Um and it's it's perfect for Switch. It's a really it's a great podcast game. It's a great game to like, if I'm catching up on podcasts and just want to like do something else with my hands, it's a it's a good game for that.
1: I like that. at first, I thought you meant that you were playing it while you were recording this, and I was like, "Wow, good for you! That's pretty, pretty <laughs> I'm impressive." Really good. Like <laughs> I said, it's a good, it's a good podcast game. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, David?
0: Yeah, uh, funny enough, I haven't been playing too, too much. Um, I, I've been living wa- life. No, I, I've been watching a lot of <laughs> One Piece. Uh, I was catching oh, up on. I'm oh. a big fan of the anime. I know I don't think either of you are big anime fans, but um, I, I caught up. It's like a thousand seventy episodes right now, and I, I, I caught up. Now for the second time I had caught up at like episode 1000 and then I left it for like a year and then I'm back, (laughs) but I'm really excited for the live action that's launching. By the time this goes live, it'll be, it'll be live hopefully. And and I'm I'm planning to have some impressions of the show with fellow Punish Backlog writer, Eric Tate, um, which is why I bring it up. But I guess gaming wise, I'm looking forward to just getting back into some meteor games. Obviously I'm looking forward to Starfield, but um, I do want to pick back up Tears of the Kingdom. Uh, I actually want to pick back up Witcher Three. I've been uh, doing a little <laughs> bit of writing on the side yeah. for for Witcher Three, and I missed that world, and I never got the Blood and Wine, so that's that's an immediate next. And I also got to do some backlog stuff. Uh, I I'm going to finish Signal. I'm going to play signalist Sorry, I'm not even going to lie.
1: Okay, <laughs> yeah, the start of the game. I downloaded it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> i don't know
0: I, I i don't even remember what platforms it's on so i'm gonna get that and and finish it it
1: plays well on switch okay. um, i will say yeah if it's not if on game, game pass I will,
0: I will play it it's on,
1: it's on game it's on game pass. all right
0: so i'll play it on game pass but
1: uh, i'll get there you though. go of get course that. yeah that makes sense if it's on <laughs> game pass yeah <laughs> um i'm playing the witcher 3 still um probably gonna be still for quite a while um but really enjoying it and it's it's playing great um although you talk about so I mentioned the sort of the armor thing. I do think there, there is something that it falls into, these pitfalls of these like, okay, I got another sword. Is it slightly better than my last sword? Yeah.
2: Sure. You know, like... in, in fairness. In fairness, it did that before everyone else did.
1: There you go. There it you did go. it before it was cool. <laughs> there you go. That's like I remember watching um God, what was it? It's the uh the Orson Welles movie, the like fan- Citizen Kane. And I was like, I remember watching it, and I'm like. This is just like repeating a lot of like shots and styles that like are already famous. I'm like, Oh, cause he did it first. There we go. <laughs> like, yeah, he, he, adv- he invented good stuff He invented this. So, okay. Yeah. Everyone else is copying him. Oh, I got it. Yeah, no, I'm definitely, but I'm enjoying, I mean Witcher 3 is just like so quality. I'm enjoying just, I'm in Novigrad now. So it's nice. There's just like so much going on there. So I'm having a good time. Um, so for our next episode of the podcast, we'll have some more voices um, from other writers at the Punished Backlog so stay tuned. Uh, We think we're going to be talking about the gaming backlog. You know, those games that stack up on your to play list, especially the ones you've already bought, but haven't started. You know, how do you decide to play? When do you finally get around to it? Are there strategies for getting through the backlog? What are the games that we've been meaning to play? Um, And later this fall, we'll also talk about our Fantasy League gaming update and just a forecast for the games of the year. Um, But thanks for joining us and happy gaming.